Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. chapter 3, um, verse 12, Napoleon the Great um, had a marshal who rode up to him and said, General, I fear the battle is lost. Napoleon coolly looked at his watch and replied, Well, it's time for another battle. Summon the army to a fresh charge and get ready for another battle. In this story, Napoleon understood something, that is that in war, sometimes, many times, the strategy is just that you need to rally back up and fight again. And I want to relate that to our life here tonight. Because that is a very true statement when it comes down to our walk with Christ or even in life in general. That many times all we have to do, that many times what needs to be done is that we just need to rally back up. We need to stand back up and we need to continue to fight like our commander Jesus Christ has taught us. That many times in life we can look back and look up at God and say, God, I fear we've lost this battle or I fear I've messed up or whatever the case may be. And if it's sin, if it's just some type of failure, um, some type of endeavor that, that, uh, that, that failed, whatever it is, many times what needs to happen is that we need to rally ourselves back up, encourage ourselves and say, we're going to have to fight one more time. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul has something similar to say um, to his disciple Timothy in verse 12, it says, indeed, all who desire, say with me, all who desire, this includes you if you want to live for God. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be blessed, right? No? We'll be hooked up. Yeah? Prospered. You'll get a raise. What does it say? Persecuted. Verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to preach a simple sermon that I've entitled, Keep Fighting Tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, God, that you give us to be here together, not only as a church, God, but as your army. Father, as group of soldiers God that are ready to uh, go out and do something for you father I pray that if there's anybody here who has failed in life God or maybe they're here father and they feel like life has just been a failure God I pray that you will encourage them God that somewhere they'll be able to rally themselves up and fight one more time Lord God I pray that you will anoint God the words that come out of my mouth father that it will penetrate the hearts of your people tonight God hide behind your cross Lord in Jesus' name I pray. And the people of God said tonight, Amen. Amen. I want to start off with my first point, and that is the effect of sin and the strategy of hell. See, you've been deceived, or you might have some type of ignorance to think that Christ the Christian walk 
is just roses or just peaches and cream. That everything is just perfect and there's nothing that's going to go wrong after you meet Jesus or there's not going to be any type of fighting or any type of failure. Many people have this twisted perspective or this, uh, or, or maybe they gave them the gospel in a different way that they shouldn't have. They sold it to them by saying that somewhere God will always prosper you. If you're a student in the Bible, you begin to realize that God does bless you and He does prosper you. But many times, out of the um, benefit of your character or your life, will put you in places that aren't necessarily comfortable. Will put you in places where many times will cause you to feel pain or will cause you... Many times it'll be in failure. Discipleship, a lot of it is giving men ministry and watching them make mistakes and make a, a, or fail in their in their um, quest for fruits and be corrected by the power of God through discipleship and leadership. So there's that aspect of Christianity. But I also want to tell you tonight that once you get saved, once you find Jesus Christ, I understand that your name becomes a saint. You read that in the Bible, right? You become a saint. But how many of you guys know we still deal with sin? Maybe you guys know that we still have a flesh that we have to fight against. That was like two amens and they're right in front of me. How many of you guys know it tonight? That there's a flesh that you need to fight against. And I want to tell you tonight that sin has an effect on every single one of us. No one in this place is above the wages of sin. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. It doesn't matter if you know Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 is, for the wages of sin is death. But the free, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the point I'm trying to make here tonight is that there is no such thing as a super Christian. There's no such thing as, as a superman Christian. Somebody that can be in the face of all kinds of sin and temptation and get away with it. Listen, no one is above the power of sin. I think one of the mistakes we can make is minimize the power of sin. Again, in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. What are those wages? What does that look like? Well, for many people, the wages of sin, death, is spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. But many times, this gets manifested in a physical way also. This is why many times you see people get involved in, in a type of sin and their family begins to fall apart. Something that is supposed to, supposed to produce life begins to fall apart and produce death. Relationships begin to fall apart. Even health. I think it's in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul tells them, you guys are sick because of your sin. Because somewhere, you, you, and listen, I, I just want to make this statement here tonight. That a lot of sicknesses are spiritual. I understand, I appreciate doctors, alright? I appreciate science and I appreciate the advancement of medicine. But a lot of things that many people experience in their health is spiritually linked to something. See, if you continue to dabble in sin, you will eventually be a casualty. You know, Jeremy Taylor said this. He said, a man is first startled by sin. Then it becomes pleasing. Then easy. Then delightful. Then frequent. Then habitual. Then confirmed. The man is impenitent, then obstinate, and then he is damned. Wow. That somewhere is started by just some type of startle, some type of 
curiosity, some type of um, you know, desire or some type of um, focus or something like that. And then eventually it finishes with damnation. I mean, think about this, that somewhere, the very thing that makes you feel good, because how many of you guys know that sin many times makes you feel good? This is why we sin, because it appeals to our flesh, because there's pleasure that's tied into it, because somewhere it begins to touch the very, um, whatever you want to, if you want to get technical, it begins to touch all of the pleasure hormones that, that begins to just make you feel good. The very thing that triggers pleasure in your life is the very thing that can drag you to hell. No one is above the effects of sin. Can I remind you tonight that Satan seeks to kill, steal, and destroy? This is who he is. This is his character. This is what he thinks about. This is what he dreams about. When he goes to bed, this is what he's thinking. How can I do this to them how can i kill them how can i steal what god has given them how can i destroy them destroy their family destroy what god has given them destroy their ministry their purpose their destiny john 10 10 the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it abundantly you're deceived if you think you can find life outside of jesus Somewhere you're deceived if you think that, that you know what, that you can be friends with the world and somewhere you can get benefits out of this. I understand in high school you had friends with benefits. No. <laughs> I understand that there was relationships like that that you might have thought, I'm just going to hook up so that I can get the best out of them. So that I can just use them. How many of you guys have ever been used? How many of you guys have used somebody? Be honest. You can remove your halo tonight. I know we're in church. And see, and the, the, the illustration that I'm trying to bring to you, or the truth, is that this is who Satan is. There's no common ground with him. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no acquaintance there. There's no, you know what, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of deal. That somewhere, if you're going to dabble with sin, if you're going to play footsies with the devil, it's going to go wrong with you. Something, sin is going to begin to affect you. His interest is your demise, the demise of your family, your relationship with God, your health, your poverty. I remember the first time I heard somebody um, say this, it really, it really struck a chord in my mind. He said, I remember the preacher, he said, Satan, if he, if he could kill you in your sin, he would. But it's the mercy of Christ that kept us alive. It's the mercy of Christ that kept you alive just in time to come and meet Jesus in the house of God. Church, this is why we call it spiritual warfare. Because somewhere you have somebody that wants to kill you. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in constant war with hell in our flesh or at least you should be at least you should be in a place of contention in a place where you feel 
this pressure, the image that you should have in your mind is this tug of war that you wake up every morning and you're constantly having to deal with certain things. You're constantly having, I told this to, I forget who I was telling um, in outreach, I was telling them, I do not trust myself. I don't put myself in places where I believe that, you know, I think I'm better now. No, I know who I am. I know my flesh. I know that somewhere I have a tendency. The Bible tells me my heart's deceitful and somewhere I don't put myself in that place. You should be wrestling. You should be fighting. You should be. There should be a struggle. See, the world that we live in has this very dynamic working in it. The world that we live in, the world that we so love tonight, has this very dynamic in it. And that is that there is a hell that's trying to kill you, and your flesh is helping out. Luke 21, verse 10 through 19. It says, Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various famines and um, pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. There, go, there it goes again. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Think about that. You're going to be persecuted. You'll be put in places of, of, of public shame. That's your opportunity to bear witness. Verse 14, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put you to death. Shout amen if you've been there. Verse 17, you will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance. You will gain your lives. The opposition against Christians is to be expected. When you signed up for this, this wasn't selective service. This wasn't a draft. It wasn't just like, you know, just, just you know, you have to be here. You signed the paper, Amen. You said, Jesus, I need you. And somewhere this persecution, this opposition is to be expected. Not only is it to be expected, but we must also understand that it would only get worse. 2 Timothy 3.12, we read it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to what? See, I believe... That we are living in the last days. I believe that Jesus is going to come back. And he can come back at any second. He can come back before I finish the sermon. He can come back at whenever he wants. But I want to say this. If Jesus tarries, if he prolongs his coming, we're going to see more evil unleashed. And we're going to see more persecution against Christians. There's a book called A is for Abductive by Sweet and McLaren. Um, she wrote some of the chief forms of persecution in early postmodern culture, which is what we live in, are um, prosecution, silencing and derogation. Muslims aren't being asked to downplay their beliefs. Right? You don't see, you don't see people persecuting Muslims. Buddhists aren't, aren't being asked to downplay their beliefs. Right? 
But Christians are often expected to sit down and shut up. You know how it is, right? You, you got some, everybody wants to talk about everything during Thanksgiving. But you can't talk about Jesus. You bring it up, that's uncomfortable, bro. We don't bring up religion in Turkey. You know, and somewhere many times, this is what happens. I want to move on to my second thought. And that is the moment you become your own enemy. You know, the persecution that we see now is defaming, ridiculing, cancel culture. You guys ever heard that, the cancel culture? It's when things get canceled. It's, it's whenever, whenever people will be like, hey, I was going to have you, but I canceled you because of your beliefs. You know, Kanye West kind of talked about this a little bit when he got canceled a few times because he's a Christian now. Maybe you guys know many times we get canceled by our family. We get canceled by because somewhere, and I, I was telling this to a brother in our church, I was telling them that many times it's not, you're not doing anything wrong. It's just that your righteousness makes them feel uncomfortable. Your leadership, many times it makes people feel uncomfortable. That somewhere, you know, you're living right for God, so it begins to expose some things in their life. They begin to see, you know what, this is the way a Christian should live. This is the way I should be doing things. This is the way I should be fathering. This is the way I should be living for God. So what they do is they begin to persecute you. They begin to speak about you. They begin to defame you. They begin to, you know what, they begin to say, you, who are you? Are you, you holier than thou? Who do you think you are? See, all of the evil and violence we see has a root of sin. Amen? Don't be deceived by anything else. Oh, it's just their mental state. You know, secular media will try to deceive and confuse by trying to put false accusations. You see a lot of these shootings happening. And these shootings, I promise you, are linked to the fact that we're removing Jesus from every single corner of our government. Or every single corner of our state. But they'll try to confuse you. Oh, but this person, he was a Christian. If he was a Christian, he wouldn't be doing what he was doing. And somewhere they'll begin to try to deceive this very thing. But the reality is, is that there is an enemy that's trying to kill us. The moment you become your own enemy, salvation reveals the source of your problem. And that is your flesh. There's a youth, a man, who asked the preacher, um, you say that unsaved people carry a weight of sin. He says, I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? Is it 10 pounds? Is it 80 pounds? And the preacher replied by asking the youth, if you laid a 400-pound weight on a corpse, will it feel the load? And the youth replied, it will feel nothing because it is dead. And the preacher concluded, that spirit too is indeed dead, which feels no load of sin or, or, or is indifferent to its burden and about its presence. Salvation reveals something. You had no clue who you were fighting until you got saved. You had no clue that you, that you had that evil person in you until you got saved, right? <laughs> you didn't know you had any friends. By friends, I mean demons, right? <laughs> you didn't know you were, me you were messed up in your mind until you came to church. We are blind to the effects of sin until we got saved. You begin to look back into your life and you begin. How many of you guys can say this statement? If it wasn't for God, I don't know where I would be. Because somewhere you got this revelation that, man, I was going the wrong way. In a true conversion, there was a revelation of who we used to be. We begin to realize that we weren't as good as we thought we were. Romans 3.23, 
says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. That's all of us. Every single one of us. I don't care if we, I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home, if you went to Christian school, if you're a homeschool, I don't, I don't care who. We all fall short. And we're all saved by grace. And somewhere we're all, and we have to understand this, that salvation should have brought a revelation to who you were. In a true conversion, there's a revelation of our true enemies. We begin to realize who our real enemies are. And that's hell in our flesh. No, it's not your mother-in-law. It's not your father-in-law. It's not your cousin that hates you. It's not your boss. I know your boss can become your enemy sometimes. No, the true enemy in your life is hell in your flesh. Check this out in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, um, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Fits of anger. Fits of anger. <laughs> Rivalries, dissensions. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's just your flesh. We didn't, that, nowhere there was, was Satan mentioned. No one there was demons mentioned or the darkness, you know, or, or all these different. That's just your, who you are. That's just what can come out of you. You know, we all get amazed by the stories we hear of people like Ted Bundy or Adolf Hitler. You have the very same capability if you cross the very the lines that they crossed. Your heart is just as deceitful as there was. There was. And some are listen, this is this is who you're fighting. This is your flesh. You know what the easiest thing to do is? It's just to give in to it. Give in to the persecution. Give in to all the different things, that the, the, the peer pressure, which we're going to be talking about. A lot of the persecution we experience in America, especially in our culture, is better called peer pressure. That somewhere there's, there's, there's a pressure from the outside. How many of you guys know peer pressure is not only true for kids? Right? It's, it's, it's not only true for, the, for those dare-wearing shirts. You know, the, you know, the dare stickers. Uh, I, I don't know. I forgot what it's there for. I don't, I don't remember. Something with drugs, all right? <laughs> Peer pressure is not only true for kids, but a lot of us experience pressure by your flesh. How many of you guys know your flesh pressures you every day? Yeah. Pressured by hell. Hell is seeking, strategizing ways to, to try to destroy you. Not only that, but pressured by other people that are inspired by hell. Now, I don't recommend you going around saying, bro, sis, you're inspired by hell. <laughs> That's not what I'm telling you to do. But there's many times as a Christian or when God gives you that spirit of discernment, when he begins to give you some wisdom, you begin to realize that was sent from hell. That was a strategy. I would have fallen. There's been many times where I've been arguing with my wife and we've had to step back and say, that was from hell. There's a, that somewhere is trying to sneak in there. And it's so easy just to give in. If you can't beat them, then... Right? It's so easy to have that mentality. It's easy to give into our flesh and join this peer pressure. But I want to counterattack this. I want to be able to stand up and do something about this. How many of you guys know in a war? Or how many of you guys like boxing? 
All right. In boxing, they used to they, this used to be true, and that was the aggressor wins the round. That used to be kind of like something. Now, in the Floyd Mayweather era, <laughs> aggressors don't no, normally win. It's almost like a point or, or whoever has the more money, right? Whatever it is. But um, it used to be that the aggressor won the round. The person that went up and tried to hit, the one that, that was trying, that was fighting, that was putting on a show. I want to tell you tonight that that is very true in the kingdom of God. It's the aggressor. The Bible says the violent. It's the violent who, who inherit the kingdom of God. It's those that stand up and say, yes, I have an enemy, but somewhere I'm going to strategize to beat that enemy. This is why, um, if you guys ever heard the book in the Christian realm, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, that's not even a Christian book. But there's, there's strategies of war there that, may, that you can use in the kingdom of God. Like one of those strategies is you have to know your enemy. That's somewhere you have to know. This is where Pastor Glenn Cluck in Guam, Pastor Shoki Shimoto's pastor, says that a devil exposed is a devil defeated. That's somewhere that you know what, if you begin to learn the very things of how he... I want to tell you, listen, we, we constantly say this in our church, God is very smart, right? Well, I want to tell you, the devil is very stupid. He continues to try to deceive the very same way. But if, but if many people are falling and the devil is stupid, what does that make many people? I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Speak up and live up. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, I don't care what you guys think. If it's good or not, that's up to you to judge. But I'm not going to shut up about what God has done in my life. And I want to tell you the strategy to attack back at this very spirit of persecution against Christians coming from all kinds. Of, and I'm not talking about chopping off heads, although that's happening on another side of the world. Pray for them. But in America, we have our own form of persecution by our families. We spoke about it, the media and all these different things. The way you persecute back, if, if, if you will, is you stand up and you speak up and you live up. You begin to speak about what God... Can I tell you, listen, just because we're persecuted, we can't stop preaching the gospel simply because people don't like it. Don't fall into this politically correct era. Now, you can't talk about Jesus because... It's, it's, it's a trigger for people. Don't, don't say sin. You know, don't, don't talk about homosexuality and what you believe in. No, you stand up for what you believe in. You judge unrighteousness. You know, something that, that we live by, that, that, that my wife and I, is righteousness over relationship. You can write that one down if you're taking notes. Righteousness over relationship. What that means is that somewhere in my mind... It's more important to be right in the eyes of God than friends with somebody. That somewhere it's more important for me to be right in the eyes of God than to keep a relationship. We can't stop preaching the gospel simply because people don't like it. We can't stop simply because people will reject us or attack us or hate us. Again, we read the scripture. This is an opportunity for you to bear witness I want to tell you, listen, God will take care of the offenses done to us. God is our defender. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, God will defend you. This is what our scripture is about. I mean, think about this very, very clearly. In verse, um, 
Again, from the beginning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? Not 3, I'm sorry. Not that one. Luke chapter 21, um, verse 17, it says, You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your life. That's somewhere you find. You find protection. You find a defender. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our advocate. That somewhere when we're being judged by the Father in heaven, and you know Jesus, he will defend you. He will speak for you. This is his spirit. That's, this is who he is. His heart, his character, is that if you stand up for me, then I'll stand up for you. See, in our scripture, Paul instructs Timothy to continue to do what the word of God says. And I'm not going to give you guys any deep revelation other than what Paul says. And that is that in the face of adversity and persecution for wherever it comes from, you just have to continue to do what the word of God says to do. You just have to continue to be a good Christian. You have to continue to preach the gospel. This is what he's telling Timothy. And the idea is that Timothy is taking over this church as a young pastor. And you have these people, um, and I believe it was in Ephesus is where he took over. And that somewhere he has these people that are, that are mixed with paganism and all these different things. They're pushing against them. And he says, you just continue to do what you're called to do. What the word of God says tonight. Jesus' instruction in the book of Revelations to his disciples was that through their endurance, they will find protection and salvation. I want to close on my third point, and that is learning how to endure and fight again. You're going to have to fight, and you're going to have to fight again. And you're going to have to learn how to, whenever you get punched in the gut, that eventually when you get your air back, that you will begin to swing again. A distant, distance runner in college said that her coach did all within his power to impress them with the importance of recognizing one's pace. It goes like this. It says, sometimes they would run with a stopwatch. Sometimes they will be asked to guess the pace of a teammate. If you can picture they're running, and somewhere you're going to have to look at your teammate and see what kind of pace they're running. After months of training and experience, it's amazing how one learns one's pace, said this lady. Good runners do not worry about the last lap. They concentrate on the challenge of the moment. Life is like a foot race. It requires stamina and a sense of timing. God's timing. The rhythm of joy and sorrow, thrust and hold back, working and waiting, eating and sleeping, must be carefully calibrated or we lose the delicate balance so necessary in developing patience, courage and strength. Not only is our life similar to a foot race, but it's also in our spiritual life that somewhere... Our Bible teaches us a discipline. Say with me, discipline. Christians are disciplined. If you want to make it for God, you're going to have to learn how to be self-disciplined. You're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself. You're going to have to learn how to get out of some of the messes that you make. This is something that I tell the men all the time about morning prayer. You're going to have to learn how to wake up early. You're going to have to learn how to read your Bible. You're going to have to learn... How to pray. And, and whenever you get these very things, you're going to have to continually do that. How many of you guys did sports in high school? How many of you guys know it was very repetitive? I knew my schedule, man. Mondays and Wednesdays, we're in the weight room. 
And then the other days in between, we're out there running in the soccer team. It was repetitive every week. I knew exactly what I needed to do. People in the military, it's repetitive. It's muscle memory. Oh, anything that you, that you want to get better at, it's with practice. And listen, this is the very same thing that even when attack comes in your Christian life, you don't have to go and reinvent the wheel. It's in your Bible. You just have to continue to do what God has called you to do. We are called not to be entrepreneurs in the Christian world, to invent new waves and new doctrines. We're called simply to persevere, to endure, and to continually fight. It was William Barclay who said endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. That somewhere when things are going wrong, that somewhere you can link it to Christ. You can link it to God. Maybe you guys know that it can be hard to serve God sometimes. Kids don't understand this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're eating. Um, I think it was dinner. And, um, and one of us, we, we made a statement. We said, um, it's hard to live for God. And Titus like, no, it's not. All you have to do is go to church. <laughs> go to nursery and play. <laughs> and run around. How many of you guys know? Let's be honest tonight. Kids are in nursery, right? Right, they're in the soundproof room over there. It's hard, it's hard to serve God. But it is the most revo- rewarding thing that you can do in your life. When you're faithful to God, what you're doing is you're investing in your eternity. And all we need to do is continue to do what God has called us to do. Our mission is to preach the gospel. And our salvation and protection comes from Christ. It's not something that you have to do. You don't have to see. You're, you're not a demon hunter. You don't have to go out. You're not a ghostbuster. By perseverance, in this quote, this is by perseverance, the snow reached the ark. That was two people. Two people got it tonight. With God, we have the victory. Amen? You know, Pastor Ruby, he said this and it stuck with me. He said, if we stay in the ring, we're going to win the fight. It's when we exit the ring, we begin to lose. But if we're staying in there, man, God is in our corner. He's going to help us. He's going to help us. Paul says to continue to do what we know. And I want to just leave you with this. There's a few things that we know to do that we have to continue to do. One of them is prayer. Amen? How many of you guys know that there's no graduation from prayer in the Christian life? That if you prayed hard when you're a new convert, when you're an older saint, you pray harder. As you get older, you learn how to pray harder. You become a prayer warrior. Maybe that's your graduation. That's somewhere you, you didn't pray as much as you used to pray, but now you pray more. Prayer is your lifeline to Christ. When persecution comes and you don't talk to God, I'm telling you, you're going to fall. The other one is study. Oh, man. And I ain't talking about studying for the SAT. I'm talking about studying the Word of God. Somewhere, listen, one of my biggest goals... And I feel like if I can do this, it's one of my biggest accomplishments in ministry, is if I can teach people how to read their Bible. So that they can open their word and seek it as an answer. God, what do you have to say about this? When you study the word of God, you're not studying to get smarter. You're studying because this is the heart of God. Essentially, you're studying the heart of God. God, what is it that you want? What's my next step? How do you feel about this? Why do I feel that way? 
What do I need to do now? Not only do you pray or do you study, but you also have to prioritize your place in the people of God. Why do you come to church today? Why, why do you come to services? Why do you consider yourself part of the church? You know, what it should be is you come here to receive and to give, to be a blessing and to receive a blessing. You surround yourself around the people of God and the leaders and you build a relationship with leaders of ministry, your pastor, so that whenever you fall, you can reach out and they'll pick you up. But you're also that person that when people fall, you can pick them up. You position yourself and you prioritize that I'm ready, bro, whenever you need me. Begin to occupy yourself with kingdom work. See, that's the problem. Is that some of us wouldn't do anything for God. You can say it, man. It's fine. That sometimes man, we, we, we do everything else for everybody else except God. We're running errands for everybody. We're doing favors. Oh, I'm serving. I just got to serve. I just got to serve. Well, yeah, you got to pray also. You also got to go and evangelize. You also got to tell people, you got to occupy yourself with the kingdom of God. Remove your focus from the persecution and go and do something for God. One of the biggest drags is when you hear a Christian that's depressed because he's being attacked by hell. Bro, we all are. Sis, we all are. We're all being attacked by the world. We all have family members that don't like us. We all have a devil that's chasing us. We all have a gorilla on our back. But we also have Jesus. We also have God that we can go up to. So somewhere you have to shift your focus to God. I want to tell you tonight, and I'll close with this, don't give up. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, don't give up. Now turn to the other one, tell him, don't give up. Don't give up. It is when we stop doing what God called us to do that we begin to give in to all the things that begin to destroy us. Anybody who's backslid, you can link them to a place where they compromised. Anybody that has left the will of God, you can always connect the dots right back to a place of compromise. I stopped praying. I stopped studying the word of God. I stopped going to church. I isolated myself from my pastor. I isolated myself from the people of God. And you can always trace it right back into that. Galatians 6 verse 9 through 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap and we, if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know what we need to do? It's when you get right back up and fight. Get right back up and fight. You know, I've, I've, I've been in my fair share of fights, and I've seen fights. And there's nothing better than in a fight than to see a guy who gets his butt whooped and he gets back up and he keeps on going. This is why many people like Nate Diaz, for those of you guys MMA fighter uh, fans, is that he's always bleeding from that eyebrow, right? But he's out there fighting. He's out there. You can't see from one eye. You know, he's, but he's out there still swinging. He's out there still. It, it's, it's a fight. And I want to tell you, listen, I, I wonder, it's, it's funny. Because I wonder how we all look spiritually. I wonder how we all look. Some of us, we have some battle scars. We've been through some things. We have some amputated eyes and hands, you know. You've lost some things and, <laughs> you know, this is war. Some of us, we're, we're walking with one leg, you know, we're hopping. We'll make it, right? We're going to make it as long as we stay in the ring and we continue to do what God has called us to do. Can I get every head bowed every eye closed?
You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.